welcome back everyone and today we are joined by Ben Calder who is the founder of Integral Health based in Shrewsbury and Chester. Ben offers a range of bespoke services that are designed to give you an integral approach to health. Ben has a vast range of training and is able to offer one-to-one services in kinesiology, Bowen fascia release technique, access bars and body processes, allergy testing, one-to-one mentoring, and I don't know if I'm gonna say this right, McLaughlin scar tissue release. Also, Ben is <laughs> Ben's able to run group sessions in Qigong, health, meditation, and shadow self-workshops. Additionally, Ben also has a vast range of knowledge and has practiced many forms of yoga. Hi, Ben. <laughs> Hi. Great introduction. Thank you for doing that. And a real pleasure to be here with you both. Thank you. I was really impressed. And uh, I, I found when researching you I could see that you'd you'd been into all of this since really young hadn't you you've been inspired from a very young age and absolutely and and at a time where it wasn't quite so well known either so what got you what got you inspired yeah I mean I mean you're absolutely right I mean back where I mean I don't know if you remember yourself but back in the days when I first started getting into this stuff it was about ordering stuff through libraries you know finding stuff in odd bookshops you know periodicals and things that were, that were pretty rare and I have to hold my hand up and say that I stole stuff out of my local library just because I wanted to connect to it for, for longer periods of time but yeah. I mean I, you know I, I think I just I had a really interesting upbringing as a child you know as a, as a young person we moved around a lot uh, my, my father and my stepfather were both in the RAF so we we moved around quite a lot and so so for me my internal worlds were actually more important for me than than some of my exterior situations because it was harder to form longer, deeper term relationships, friendships when I was younger, because of this kind of cycle of moving around and stuff. You know, my, my inner landscape became something that was really valuable to me. Uh, and when I was in the, the kind of the early stages of secondary school, we had a, a Christian youth group who, uh, you know, and, and these days, love them, bless them. You know, they, they have a place and a position in our society that has value. But for me, as a, as a young man, just entering into my teenage years, they were a frustration with their, uh, their guitars and the self-righteous Christian singing that they used to uh, wander around our schools doing. And so some friends of mine and I, we decided to get into Wicca, into kind of paganism and look at the natural world in a different way basically to be in opposition to them um, and it just happened to be also it was a bunch of stuff that, that really resonated with me uh, and my my mum uh, also kind of was open to new age stuff and she had a friendship with a lady who was clairvoyant did healing work you know th- this is very early 90s um, I think 1990 would have been the first year that we did the exhibition. Uh, so, so she did this massive new age exhibition down in Cornwall, these three day events for years. And because my mum was interested and, and because some of the stuff that I'd kind of spoken to with her, she actually took me along to this lady for a regular basis to start doing psychic development when I was 15 years old. So I started doing psychometry and the basics of tarot and energy field reading and all sorts of stuff when I was quite young. And then in these big exhibitions that we used to uh, go to, we were helping out and supporting um her in the running of these and one of the jobs that I used to do during the exhibition was we had like four uh, big workshop rooms and they all funneled through one space and we used to have to collect the tickets at each door for each workshop and then when the workshop started we had to have the doors closed and we couldn't let anybody else in because we're doing meditations and there are transfigurations and all sorts of really interesting stuff and I had the choice of either standing outside the door or I could sit inside the door with my back against the door. So for three days at a time, for years through my teenage, until I went away to university, and then even then I used to come back, I used to go to these exhibitions every year and listen to all these amazing speakers and get information about all these different processes. You know, I learned to cure my own insomnia when I was 15 from a shiatsu technique that I learned at that point. And, you know, it really started to shift my life. So, so, and that's where I got my first Qigong teacher as well, a guy called Ben, who, you know, he was an old guy 
in silk pajamas that at these exhibitions especially in the evenings when the big parties were going on you know we're all dancing to kind of like uh, house and rave and other stuff that's happening at these parties and he's just there in his silk pajamas doing qigong so <laughs> i got inspired by a lot of really beautiful teachers really early on gosh and it was because you were had several brothers didn't you was it was it two brothers that's right yeah i've got two older brothers uh yeah they're six and eight years older than me uh, and the oldest of us is probably what i would say the least connected the least kind of into his spiritual practice although now that, that you know i mean he's in his 50s now uh, and we're all a, a lot older he's he's very much interested in his nutrition and you know looks at his biochemistry he's much more the practical kind of character within us my my next eldest brother who's six years older than me he has also been uh, a very intuitive, energy sensitive. He's a visionary artist as well. So he actually perceives energy uh, and energy fields in, in a really unique and amazing way and became the founder of the Life Force Qigong, the system that I now teach. Um, and so, you know, we, he and I have always had a really good connection. And uh, whenever we used to visit with each other, it was always a case of exchanging bits of information about, oh, have you read this? Have you seen this? Have you, have you got this? And we'd have all these photocopies that we'd taken out of books that we'd kind of like robbed or borrowed or, you know, kind of had for five minutes. We, you know, we had a, a really interesting lifestyle and and he did a lot of uh, time um, living and working in Brighton as well. And there was a very alternative scene there. So going down there gave me access to bookshops and communities that where I had been, where I'd grown up in Cornwall, where I'd been at university in Cheltenham, and, and then where I live up in Shrewsbury, that I just hadn't had that access. And Brighton was, you know, like seriously alternative in the kind of mid-90s you know we had the, the big early kind of piercing and tattooing uh, communities really developing and you've got to remember that at the beginning of the 90s when all this started off most body piercing was illegal so you know we we had places you know i mean uh, again olivia you probably don't think about it in in terms like that because of your age but to to go and have things like belly buttons done tongues done all that kind of stuff you know, most of that wasn't legal um so yeah. you know, the, the, yeah, sure. So it was a really interesting culture at the time. And, you know, this is all the illegal house parties and illegal raves that used to take place in basements and underground car parks and stuff. So it was a very exciting time in a lot of ways. An amazing childhood by the sounds of it. Sure, yeah. yeah. I had a little bit of that. My grandmother used to read tea leaves. So I suppose that softened me into being able to have the belief in all of this because I, I witnessed her having my mum's friends round and then she'd just get this tea leaf, tea, teacup, turn it around a few times and then look in it and tell them things that I knew she didn't know because she didn't know them, but I knew who they were. And, I, and from then on, it excited me and... Yeah, I'm. I feel very privileged to have been introduced into that in an early an early stage in my life because it's allowed me to allow it into my life now. Absolutely. I mean, for for us at that time as well, for me in that that stage, because media wasn't developed in the way that it is. You got to remember, this is all pre-internet. This is all pre-mobile phone. We just didn't have access to so much. So, so these subtle worlds, these inner worlds were, were a great source of richness. And I was always really surprised at how I could sense people and places. So, you know, one of the areas of work that I've enjoyed over the years is doing geopathic stress work and intrusive energies work because my sensitivity into buildings, into people, you know, I, I can pick up various things about that and, and how we interpret that and how we look at that is, um, you know, there are lots of different ways of doing that. There's no kind of wrong or right way with that. But, you know, I just found that sense of being able to, to connect into the energy of a tree or a piece of land, you know, and at the time growing up in Cornwall, there was a lot of sacred sites, old stone circles, standing stones that, you know, I could really feel the resonance of and I had a real drawing to being in some of these old places and, you know, I, I kind of have that genetic memory that deja vu that's there of having been connected into some of this stuff when i was younger as well and you know other lifetimes of being involved in other things and 
you know, it, it, it still is beautiful to me. You know, I've been out um, just two weeks ago before uh, we flew my brother back off to Bali to continue working out there. We went up to a local stone circle uh, near where I am here that I'd not been to before. It was a new one for me. And, and we just spent time just grounding and connecting into the energy of the stones there. And it was such a powerful process for us to do because uh, I'd just moved house and he was just about to leave. And it was a real powerful grounding experience. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? That when you do start doing that, so when I find I meditate now, for years I never did any meditation. And now when I do it, I can feel myself really relaxing. And then when I don't, when I go back into not doing it again, I can feel myself being quite tense. And I was just never aware of though that anxiousness inside of me um and I know you feel the same don't you when yeah I definitely can tell and I haven't done it and I feel like stuff that I would normally just put back just comes out with meditation and I can actually deal with it in a level way yeah, yeah, and it's beautiful. And th- this is what I had as a as a teen as well. I was uh, I had really bad insomnia. I was actually quite anxious. Uh, I used to get uh, social phobia. You know, I found it very difficult to do certain things. So actually, being out on the land really calmed me down. And the first of the qigong that I was taught was something called zhamzhong, which translates as standing like a tree. So for this person that was quite unsettled and restless, you know, I'm the kid whose knees were constantly going and, you know, was always having to make jokes because I just felt uncomfortable and sensitive in, in the spaces that I was in, to actually do a practice where I had to stand and stand still and breathe and just let everything come through was so vital to me and and has been such a a mainstay of my life ever since because it taught me that we don't have to run from the rain you know the rain moves you know when we think about uh, these things that come up in our heads these stresses they feel overwhelming they feel like they take so much for us and yet I learned that just by standing still all those thoughts were just weather and what would happen is they would move. So yeah. I would stand still and the thoughts would go away like clouds passing in front of me. And, you know, Jamjong being the standing like a tree, it really connected me into, well, trees don't worry about this stuff because they know if it's night, it'll turn into day. If it's raining, the sun will come out. If it's winter, we'll get through to summer. We just have to have a little bit of patience, breathe and put ourselves back into the most stable state we can. And this is why we feel so good when we walk around in a forest or we hug a tree, is that the tree has to balance the environment around it, otherwise the environment will kill it. So it stabilizes everything around it, which is why we get that sense of peace and softness when we hang out with the trees. So, you know, for me as a teenager, that just changed my life because I stopped being so anxious because I could just go and stand for 15, 20 minutes, stand with trees was even better. And it just shifted how I felt. Stopped breathing like I was, you know, just run a marathon or something like that. And it just calmed me right down. Yes, because I've heard recently that the trees, each tree has a different song, doesn't it? Or I'm not quite sure whether you've heard that. But so I started looking at trees in a different way recently, thinking, oh, you know, what healing song have you got? And if I hug you, (laughs) and I'm like, yeah, starting to become a bit of a tree hugger. (laughs) And there's an absolutely beautiful body of work by Simon and Sue Lilly, who are an amazing pair of UK-based teachers. They're they're literally uh, here in Powys, not all that far away from where I am. And they they wrote a great body of work on doing tree meditations. Uh, and they've got so many different ways of connecting into the, the energy of trees that go everything from essences and color sequences and visual patterns and mantras. So for depending on how your representational systems are, if you're more of a visual person, you use a symbol or colors. If you're more of an auditory person, you use the mantras. If you're more of a physical person, you might take a drop of the tree essence. But you can do all of these kind of initiations, these tree medicines with the trees, and they'll teach you in the same way that you can have shamanic power plants and gain from kind of uh, power animals and so on within shamanism. You can do that with trees, and every tree has its own unique signature. 
Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I spent quite a few years doing study with their with their work as well, and uh, you know, so I've spent a lot of time hanging out with trees. Really, <laughs> so sociable. Um, it's great. <laughs> yeah, well, Olivia and I go for a lot of walks in the wood, don't we? And I was telling her the other day that I'd heard this and about the micro, uh, the bacteria that's associated with the trees. They all talk and they know what's coming from one end of the forest to the other and I was telling Olivia this wasn't I saying now the trees miles away know what's coming because all the bacteria has like interlinks like motorways and they're telling the trees the other side of the forest yeah. so, and what's so amazing with trees as well is in every seed in every nut that a tree produces the, the spores for the fungus that will allow that tree's roots to absorb the nutrition and create this massive web of uh, mycology between the trees is already in every seed and every nut before that starts to sprout. So it carries it with it generation to generation. Beautiful. So you were saying about standing like a tree, and I know that Olivia and I both have different um, anxious times about different things. And I must admit, I am. I think I still. I am definitely still running away. And sometimes part of my running away is using food. Well, not sometimes a lot. Um, <laughs> it doesn't help my health. I use food to to get rid of if and any anxious moments i just start stuffing food down yeah. does the once you um once you sort of surrender to this and say right okay i'm going to feel the wave of the emotions coming over me is it does is it hard is it sort of a hard process or does the body put up a fight or does it depend on the per, person to person some people's uh, bodies or emotions will put up a bit of a fight or is it actually not as bad as you might think all of those <laughs> it, it, it's it's a really interesting process because first of all we have to acknowledge the difference between people now if we consider it it's clear that i'm more masculine okay. know, nice beard angular jaw you know tall, dark, handsome, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's clear that you guys are more feminine. Okay, so, so how we process information is going to vary slightly. Now, as a masculine, generally, it's easier for us to be ascending, for us to go upwards, for us to look for spaciousness, emptiness, to find that kind of release of the burden that comes from surrendering and letting go and going into nothingness. So for the masculine, that's much more easy. Now, any gender can be more masculine, more feminine. And in fact, we all have times when we can be more masculine or more feminine, depending on what we need to do and depending on who else we're with. So, yeah. you know, um, you'll, you'll find that there are times when you're much clearer, much more direct, much more focused much more a masculine frame. There are other times when you're softer, more flowing, uh, you know, less kind of precise. That's more on the, the feminine side. Now, with the feminine, feminine is generally looking for fullness, which is part of why the proclivity towards eating is more likely to be there. Because if I feel full, and the thing I really want to feel full of is full of love, then I'm less likely to feel stressed. But I could be full of conversation. I could be full of sociability. Uh, and in some cases, you know, getting full when we're shopping also does it. So if I buy a load of stuff, then there's that sense of fullness. But they're always temporary. So, so the first thing is, is that we all have different ways of dealing with these things. And part of it is an experimentation of what I need in that moment. Now, you know, decades of practice, and I know for me, stillness, quiet, withdrawal, the silence, surrendering into that, they really work for me. You know, whereas for other people, what really might work for them is ecstatic dance. You know, and again, generally, I would say as the feminine, the better form of meditation for you is in movement, is in dance. So right. when there's stuff that's coming up and, you know, the, the sense is to put something in to push it down. One of the things you can do is find a piece of music that seems to fit the energy of what you're looking for and then dance it out. Get the body to release the thing. Right. You know, so that the, the process can take place. For me, in that masculine sense, I want to dissolve. I want to release. It's kind of like, <sighs> I can breathe out and release that. And dancing doesn't always work so well for me because I find it tends to build up the head of pressure for me mm. rather than allowing me to release. 
So part of it is a little bit of knowing who we are and what works for us and playing with that. And there's an old adage that comes out of uh, Buddhism that says that if you can't sit in silence, then sit with mantra. If you can't sit with mantra, then do a walking meditation. If you can't do a walking meditation, then scream and shout and bellow and release until you're calm enough to do a walking meditation. And then when your walking meditation allows you to be calm enough to sit with mantra, sit with mantra. And then when that allows you to be calm enough to sit in silence, sit in silence. Oh, that's so really helpful. Not, yeah. Yeah. So we can play about with it depending on what kind of mood we're in, who's around us, what resources we have, etc. Because I, I know Olivia and I, we both do these meditation practices mm. together, you know, either together or on our own. And it'll do well for a week and we'll both be saying to each other, oh, I've meditated today. And then it'll go, you could go for weeks where you just can't go and sit yeah, you, you find that, don't you? Yeah, and it? I find as well a lot of people I know, they're like, oh, yeah, but I just can't sit still. And I've had yeah. like that, especially when there's a lot going on. And so I can understand why that build-up actually does help. And I've wa- had walking meditations before, and I've actually really enjoyed them because yeah. the goal that I'm like, I feel like I'm moving towards something. I actually find it really beneficial. Absolutely. And a beautiful way of phrasing that, you know, sometimes when I feel that the walk is the thing that my body needs, sometimes I need to really power walk, you know, to really drive like I'm going somewhere and getting somewhere and it can make a big difference. And of course, we've all become super twitchy because of these funny things. (laughs) We've all become super twitchy. So, So sometimes actually having something that allows us to do movement is far more practical. And I think if you give yourself a window of I'm going to do my meditation practice at let's say 9am every day the question at 9am should be what meditation practice do I want to do today do I want to do a seated meditation do I want to do a guided visualization do I want to do a mantra meditation do I want to uh, I mean if you look into any of Osho's meditations you could do a screaming meditation where you're just like letting all the nonsense sounds out of your mouth for 30 minutes who's you know, that there's also uh, that's Osho Osho yeah so so people can find that yeah Yeah. absolutely so so uh he's got a book called um meditation the first and last freedom and uh it it really gives a lot of different types of meditations and a lot of those are movement based he developed a lot of practices for westerners and you know in an hour's meditation you might only spend the last you know five to 15 minutes in silence everything else is about noise and movement so you get all of that restlessness and all of that stuff out of your system first and then you can sit and the sitting becomes much easier because you've given the body the opportunity to release the restlessness first i think there's it's a shame with meditation when you listen to some people that don't meditate yet they feel like they've got to achieve the knowledge of how to do it as if it's this big thing and they don't seem to and as we know there's lots of different types of meditation where you can just listen to the ticking clock and there isn't actually a right complete right way or wrong way is there and it's about just being a bit stiller and um and and it's a shame because I was listening to my brother actually the other day and he said I need to learn to meditate and it was like there was this big chore that he had to do first to be able to learn and I thought gosh all you've got to do is just sit there and put a timer on your clock on your on your phone for 10 minutes and that could be or even five minutes and just Just start there yeah Yeah, listen to your body and stuff yeah and and even easier than that you know we we give ourselves this idea the same with yoga the same with any practice that we might do for our health now if you say to somebody how long does it take to do yoga they might say at least 30 minutes at least an hour okay so how long does it take to do one yoga posture maybe 30 seconds great what's your favorite yoga posture Okay, so my favorite yoga posture might be tree. That's the first one that comes into my mind today. So if I stand right now for 30 seconds in a tree, I've done yoga today. So I've already done my practice. And and there's an idea that comes from Ken Wilber's integral life practice, where we scale all of our practices down. So, you know, in my meditation, my minimum requirement for me to meditate is one minute. Because if I surrender to doing one minute and not expecting anything else of myself, it's much easier for me to sit for 20. Yes. Because yeah, I'm not I, telling I, myself I, I've got this block of time. 
Yeah, it's because once you start, sorry, go on. Liz. No, no, I was saying. Once you start, it's so lovely. It's just being able to start, I find, even though I love doing it, I will tell myself I'm going to meditate now. And then it could be I'm looking for a meditation on YouTube and I'll get distracted. And then I'll think, oh God, my time's gone. And then I think, oh, and then I feel so annoyed with myself. and think, why did I just not do the meditation? But it's like your mind takes over and says, oh, well, that's interesting. And let's have a look at this. And then, yeah. And if I just sit and do it, I love it. <laughs> it's a real battle. And of course, we're also judging what defines what meditation is. Yeah. So again, great old Zen saying that before enlightenment, I chopped wood and carried water. After enlightenment, I chopped wood and carried water. The, the world remains the same, but how we approach it changes. So me doing the washing up can be a meditation if I engage it in that way. Uh, you know, one of the great things, thinking about kind of movement natures of it, you've got people twitching all over TikTok these days as well. Now, what every single one of those people do is they have to concentrate to learn the sequence that they're going to dance through. That is a meditation mm. because we're focusing on one thing that we're going to do in repetition. You know, that's part of what the process of meditation is. So, you know, there's lots of different ways of doing it. And if we stop telling ourselves that it only works if we do X, Y, Z for X amount of time, then it makes it much more free and easy. I can meditate washing my car. I can meditate trimming the head. Is. I can meditate shaving, not that I have at the moment, but you know, I can take it in all these different ways. And it's about where my mind is while I'm doing it. Yeah, that is really helpful because it gets, stops a lot of people beating themselves up because I think we all do that, don't we? If we're not doing things perfectly. So you're all right. No judgment about it. So you're all right, Liv. You don't actually feel guilty about your TikTok now. <laughs> I actually try not to go on it, it's, it's just too addictive. <laughs> It is, it's the it's like YouTube black holes, isn't it? You know, you start in there, and before you know it, you you know you've gone on to look for a meditation or something like that. Before you know, it, you're watching films about Justin Bieber's mum. Uh, <laughs> you're lost in there too easy. Yeah. So Ben, what's um? So with all the COVID situation that's going on with the centre at Shrewsbury, you've had to shut, haven't you? Because you didn't have the right building to be able to cope with yeah, the rules. That's right. And so you've been doing one-to-one talks in the park and, and then at Chester, you've been seeing people face to face, but then sure. now with the latest lockdown, that's probably made that very difficult for you as well. Actually, we're okay. I'm really lucky that I'm part of an incredible professional organisation, the Association of Physical and Natural Therapists, who are one of the oldest therapy groups uh, in the UK, the oldest associations. They actually started a trade union for us this year so we can really lobby the government. And they've made some amazing changes uh, for us this year. So, um, you know, our original building in Shrewsbury, uh, it, it became untenable to reopen from a financial basis because of the restrictions we would have had in terms of how many people we could have seen in a day and cleaning and, and all the other things that we would have had to have put into place. Uh, and we actually, next week, we open our new office, which is now in a COVID safe space. And we, you know, we can start seeing clients face to face in Shrewsbury again, which is great. But thankfully, because of the work of the, uh, the APNT, we've been able to, even during the England lockdown, uh, because we are remedial services, we are seeing people for clinical reasons, we're able to, we don't have to close. So even if we're in tier three, uh, with the new restrictions that are coming from next week, we don't have to close because we're a health service, we're an established clinic, people are coming in for clinical reasons. So we can continue to support people's physical health, their mental health, uh, you know, quite easily, as long as uh, we follow the guidelines for that, which are, you know, they're reasonable. It's just time lengths and ventilation and, you know, masking if we're doing uh, close contact work. So you know, it's pretty straightforward. It, it's been a pain to adjust to. Um, mm. and, and it's taken a long time to sort through some of the stuff, you know, even finding a new premises that was appropriate, um, you know, finding something that physically met needs, that was in a reasonable location, that was a reasonable price and wasn't uh, asking for six-year leases and things that just at this kind of economic point in history uh, would be a daft thing for us to enter into. But, you know, glad to say we're moving forward and 
Uh, we've also taken the time to work on, start working on these other projects where we're you know, working with young people that have been struggling in education and looking at alternate career paths for them. And uh, we're looking at doing um, work with disabled people as well so that we can take uh, aspects of comp therapy into them and, and have them understand different things that they can do for themselves. So, you know, it, it's given us a chance to diversify and look at, look at things in a different way as well. Mm. So you're working with a lot more younger people in those new projects, are you? Yeah, yeah. And, and we're, we're hoping to continue to do that as well. You know, there, there's a, uh, we've got a, a great community resources uh, hub around here uh, that's run by a fabulous lady called Jane Bellis and a lot of online services there looking at mental health and, and again, connecting into that with Qigong uh, and, and things like the men's support groups as well. Uh, and, and things like the shadow work and just really trying to, to help people look at the world in other ways. You know, it's very, very easy to become frightened at the moment. Mm. Um, and, and it's something that to even understand that there is a collective thought field where people are experiencing the, the thoughts of thousands and thousands of people. You know, we, we don't think about it, but uh, with the advent of wireless technology and, and mobile technology, all of the information that's on every TV channel and every internet channel is in the air around us. And our body's bioenergy field is sensitive to those changes in vibration. So even if we're not holding the receiver in our hands, those airwaves are still moving around us and through us. And our own bioenergy field can be affected by that and, and feel some of those aspects. So we can have these moments where we feel anxious, unsettled, ungrounded, and we don't really know what it is that's triggered it off. You know, we're scrolling through so many thousands of posts every day, but our mind sees every single one of them and our energy reads every single one of them. And so just being aware of that, you know, that we've got all of this influx of information that's around us and we can be responding to it, even if we're not aware of it, it makes this requirement for practices for grounding and centering and caring for ourselves even more important than it may have been, say, 30, 40 years ago. Gosh, that's interesting. I never really yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that is interesting. Think about that. So, are you finding that um, traditionally, previously, your clients were different to what they are now at all? Are you getting a change of clients, or what I mean, people not, need? Not especially. Um, I've always had a really diverse practice anyway, because of the, the way that the kinesiology works, nearly all of my other practices are used within my kinesiology. So I can use it as a diagnostic tool to assess what it is with support uh, an individual with whatever it is that they come and see me for. And so I, I literally... You know, I've worked in preconception, so I've, I've worked with uh, parents who are looking to conceive to make sure that health is right, through to working with mothers while they're pregnant, through to working with infants, you know, shortly after birth, young children, teenagers, you know, older, uh, kind of, you know, late teenagers, early 20-somethings, and we're going, you know, so I've always had this diverse age range going right up into uh, kind of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s. So for, for me, the, the range of clients is not really changing. The types of topics overtly are not really changing. It, it's amazing how the themes are actually quite consistent over, I mean, I've been in professional practice um, it'd be 18 years in February. So, um, you know, it's been quite a while now. And although there's more of it happening, mm. and people are much more aware when they come in. You know, the majority of people are, are already much more clued up than they uh, were maybe kind of 17, 18 years ago. You know, I, I think that the, it continues to show that the need for this work is strong. The desire for it is really there as well. Mm. Yeah. So what's the work that you've been doing around Ken Wilber? Because I thought that was quite interesting because he's all about incorporating. I, I, I haven't really ever, I've heard his name a few times and I could see that you'd had, you've been studying it. So is that taking your, is that your, what you're doing now moving forward? Are you, because I mean, you, you've been educating yourself constantly. You're the never ending <laughs> educated man. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, that, that's life though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's a requirement of my training that I have to do CPD anyway. So, yeah. you know, <clears throat> when, when you've been doing something for this long, there's only certain things that, you know, that my interests kind of vary and change. And so I, I tend to follow those. But it, it was almost 10 years ago now that I, I first came in contact with Ken Wilber's work. And what I really loved about it is that it gave a, a way of including everything. Mm. So it, it worked from the premise that nothing is 100% wrong and everything has a place and a purpose, if only we can understand what that is. And it really introduced me to different levels of development and how as we grow, what we do is we, we get to an upper edge, a ceiling within a level of development, and it, we're no longer happy in that. And I think that happens to a lot of people. We start to realize that things like the friendship groups that we're in, the types of topics that we're talking about, you know, the scene starts to change for us and we're not happy. And we, we tend to then find something that feels more homely for us. It's generally something something that's more complex or a higher level of thinking than our previous levels were. And so what we do is we transcend, we move from the lower level up to the higher level, including everything that was really useful from where we were, dropping away all the rubbish that we no longer need. And we go through all these developmental stages. So when I came into Integral, I was at a point where I needed to understand how this flat land of information I had really could be used in as productive a way as possible. And so it, it gave me a window for looking at people from all of these different levels. We, we look at how much it is your mind, your body, your relationships, your environment, what level of development you're at in different types of intelligences, what states of consciousness you're aware of, what typology you are, you know, are you more overtly masculine, feminine, introverted, extroverted? We could look at whether or not you're really a true Virgo or, you know, like much more of a Capricorn style character. We could have a look at whether or not you're a five element character or an Ayurvedic type or a Myers-Briggs type. So we can see all of these diversifications within how we look at people and how they all fit together. And, and for me, looking at health, that makes a big difference, you know, because if I'm only looking... And if I come at it from a point of view of, of saying that all disease begins in the mind. So what I've then done is ignore the fact that my body, my culture and my environment could have also influenced my health. Mm. Um, you know, so it's great that the idea that disease might come from the mind. But if I'm running 90 miles a week and uh, really trashing my body and then not putting good nutrition into it, then, you know, OK, my mind is part of that. But my behavior is also a big part of that. If my behavior is that is because my culture, the relationships, the family I've been raised in has told me you're not valuable unless you're pushing yourself to the edge all the time. And I live in an environment where I see lots of high achievers and rich people and everything else. And again, there are, there are more diverse factors that influence us than just one. And in fact, we can never get away from body, mind, culture and environment. You know, we're always a mind in a body in an environment that's been influenced by our culture. We can't escape that ever. So the integral work has been really important to me to, uh, to help me make sense of the complexity of the world. Uh, when I'm just literally tomorrow finishing my uh, integral relationship group facilitator training, I've been working with Martin Uchik a lot uh, in the last six months to, to be able to actually teach uh, developmental relationship work with people. So they can really understand, you know, why it can be difficult. I and mean, it's something that we do for singles and couples, but why it can be so difficult to have relationships with people. And there just isn't enough good training out there to, to understand the complexity of our crazy world. Yeah. yeah. There's certainly not enough of this in schools, is there, to, at the, uh, when you're at school, to be even taught how to get ahead, that it is important to get ahead of your emotions. We just go into, into life and our emotions just are completely controlling us. And we haven't e even been taught the basics of, you know, it's only been something new that I've learned over the last few years of that I actually can get ahead and prepave my, the, how I might, what might affect me and how I might want to act, react. And that's yeah. not saying it's going to be perfect. Yeah, even like the understanding that your reaction de de uh, defines the outcome is a bit, was a big one for me because like all the time you just react without any thought and then it affects sure. so much 
And, and this is the big part of, of why for me shadow work is such an in, important teaching within the world because how do we know that the reason why we don't like that other person is because they're representing a trait that we've unconsciously subdued in ourselves because when we were four years old somebody who was important to us told us that that was an undesirable trait and if we behave like that we wouldn't be loved. You yeah. know? So then we come into contact with somebody that represents that and we fight against our own part of that that we want to be. So, you know, there's, there's so many nuances within our minds and the way that we look at the world. That even to trying to get the hang of this stuff, even at my age, you know, it's kind of like sometimes it's like, my <laughs> mind is blown by the depth of it. I must admit, I get, a, because I want to get into this work more, but I don't actually know where to start. And I get so excited by it all. And then I get paralyzed by the thought of, oh, I really, you know, I'm all, my children are grown up now and I'm at an age where I feel like time, I start panicking that time is running out. And I think, do I want to go down the counseling route? Do I want to do, learn a bit of the spiritual stuff or what do I want to do? And then I just get paralyzed with, I don't know. So let's not, you know, just carry, <laughs> don't, just do do, don't do anything yet. But because there's so much out there and it's so exciting, it's like a pick and mix bag, isn't it? It's so exciting. And <laughs> Which bit do I, which bit do I pick? <laughs> which sweet? <laughs> I mean, out of interest, what happens when time runs out? Well, for me, I believe now that we don't. So, but I just can't be relaxed with that, though. Even though I do believe I'm eternal, I want to do it. I'm very impatient. I want to do it all now, and. Sure. Yeah. So even though I really believe that, I also have a big interest in, I've always, when friends of mine have ever either, either lost somebody um, or um, they've had health concerns or anything, I've always almost put my own life on hold because I loved helping them, building them up. And I've always really enjoyed helping other people and I sort of think do I want to do that but this podcast and the YouTube was a great start for me because we were able to talk to people like yourself and then explore together yeah. so at the moment I but yeah it does I think for both of us it excites us because Olivia wants to be an actress but she knows she loves this as well so the yeah. two go so well together sure and it's interesting as well that I think that we we don't appreciate sometimes how much we're supporting the world just by every action we carry out. Mm. So, for instance, you know, when I go down to the local shop and buy something from uh, there, you know, the contact that I have, the smile that I have, the connection that I make with the person at the checkout is already supporting their health and well-being. So we don't have to, you know, have this massive career or have a, a massive list of qualifications or anything like that to be a positive force for good and for health in the world. It can just come from the awareness. And the very fact that the two of you are here having conversations with people like me, distributing that into your networks and sharing that with people is doing more good for the world than you realize. You know, you may never have people come up to you and say, you know, thank you so much. That thing you did really helped me. And, you know, and, and I'm sure you will as well. But, you know, we, we, can't, we can't guess sometimes about the influence that we make on the world. And neither should we. You know, we shouldn't be doing it for the obligation of something coming back to us. Mm -hmm. you know, the things that, that are really beneficial to the world are the things that our own passion, our own drive, our own desire to just be who we really are. Yeah. That's what adds value into the world. And we, we all have days where we're off. We all have days where we can be an arse as well and, you know, we're not connecting. But what can I do and be right now that makes my life and the life of everybody else something that is greater? Uh, and we can always find something, even if it's just a smile, even if it's just to acknowledge to the person in front of us, do you know what? I hear you're having a hard day. I'm having a hard day too. And that moment of relationship can make a big change. Yes. I think for people, I know my age group suffer with self-belief and things, but I think at your age, what, one thing we're you know, quite passionate on the podcast is people have any age but like your age group to try and really help them realize that they are a diamond I always say this because I never knew that when I was younger and it's only recently that I thought actually I 
I'm, I always sort of thought, oh, I should be more of this or I should be more of that. And I was scared to be criticized. And it's only really been, I'm so passionate about all of this that I, I just love it so much that I thought, stop. I heard people say, stop hiding yourself away, that a world needs to see your light. And that is really what gave me the confidence to say, I don't care whether people who might laugh at me because I just, I believed in it enough to be able to have the confidence to do it. And I think when we talk to, you've got friends, haven't you? You don't really know what they want to be and they struggle because they, people say to them, uh, what, what is your passion? What excites you? And they don't know yet. And they don't, might not be recognizing their just natural talents that they might be very good at smiling at someone uh, regularly, or they might just be a gentle soul that when they talk to people, they are gentle more than, you know, sort of bling. More understanding. Yeah, very understanding. And, and we're trying to get it over on the podcast to people that look for the little things that you might not be thinking that are so important at the moment, but these are your natural talents and they're really important and don't hide them away. Yeah. Um, and they can be a way of you serving someone else. Like you were saying about the smile, that's their way of giving yeah. back. Yeah. Because yeah. how old are you now, Olivia? Just out of interest. 21. <laughs> 21, great. So I didn't even start doing what I'm doing now until I'm in my mid-20s. Mm. So, you know, I didn't qualify until I was nearly 27. And, you know, so there's, there's no rush. You know, I've worked with a lot of teenagers who are around this kind of A-level to university age. And, you know, they feel pressure by their parents. They don't know what to do. And I'm like, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. And one of the things that we, we teach within the Qigong work that I do, within a lot of the work that I do, is a concept that we call red light, green light. And it's really quite simple. It's like traffic lights. Anything that is red light is contractive, heavy, don't want to get, no, don't want to do that. Anything that's green is expansive, open, you know, it feels like it's adding into the space that we're in. And all we do is follow the green lights. Mm. It's easy as that. And it doesn't matter what they are. So even as an actress, you've got the ability to be able to convey information to people in a way that could change their lives. Yeah. You know, you can communicate with people in a new way. But even as somebody that's stuck in shelves in a shop, I can make that happen in a way that it's easy for people. It makes their lives better. I can smile at people. I can help them out. So every choice that we make, every route that we take has the opportunity to be be done in a way that really adds value to life. What we want to do is we want to follow the green lights. We want to follow the directions where me first, where it feels like it's expansive and opening for me, my green light, because if it's a green light for me, it will help make it green lights for others. Even if there's a little bit of friction in there sometimes because people have got to face a reality. You know, we, we shouldn't shy away. You know, you said about shining your light. You know, sometimes we need to shine our darkness as well. Sometimes yeah. we need to let people know that it's okay. I mean, within the uh, the shadow work that I do, we do a process called voice dialoguing where we talk to different parts of ourselves. And we'll talk to some of the darkest, most avoided voices that you can imagine. And when we let those voices speak, when we explore why they're there, we understand that they're actually there to support us and that they have a place and a role but we need to be able to have them in consciousness and awareness so that they're not acting unconsciously, so that they don't come out of us at points where we don't have any choice. You know, because it might be that my anger, you know, it needs to be there for certain reasons. And it has a value to me if it comes out at certain points. But mm-hmm. if it's not, if I'm not aware of it, if I can't connect to it, then it's much more likely to come out unconsciously and in a way where it doesn't benefit me. Okay? Yeah. So, so there's a lot to learn as well from the things that we think that are not okay, that we tell ourselves are bad or unlovable or undesirable as we learn to work with those, we can also gain a lot of richness and a lot of juiciness from the things that they can contribute into our lives. Yeah. You know, with shadow work, I've not heard a lot about it. Where would you start to like, where would you begin? Because I've heard the word shadow work, but I don't know a lot about it. 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, there, there's all sorts of little bits of uh, stuff on YouTube. There's books that you can pick up on it. There's a really nice, simple book called The Dark Side of the Light Chasers, which, uh, you know, would fit with you guys really nicely as well. And it, and it starts to explore the concepts of shadow. But shadow essentially is all the things that we tell ourselves that we're not. So, you know, uh, again, as a young woman, I'm, I'm going to kind of highlight the fact that you might not tell yourself that you're attractive. You might not tell yourself that you're desirable or valuable. But those are schemas, they're ideas that we've picked up from somewhere. It might also be that you tell yourself you're only valuable if you're beautiful or you're only valuable if you do things in a certain way. And these are cultural, which can include everything from our families up to our schools, up to our wider culture. These are all things that have come in from various places around us. And we can often deny our good things as well. So we might tell ourselves that our humor isn't valuable, you know, because we used to laugh a lot when we were a kid and somebody used to tell us that they didn't like the sound of our laugh. So we repressed it. We put it away. And the shadow we, is the things that we don't believe that we are. But because we really are them, they still come out unconsciously. And we'll tend to see them in the world around us. So it might be that I don't think I'm stubborn, but I'm watching that guy over there and he's so stubborn. And, and I really don't like it when people are stubborn, but I'm not stubborn. So <laughs> it's the denial of the thing we are while we're seeing it somewhere outside of us as well. And that could be any negative trait, any negative emotion, or any positive trait or any positive emotion. You know, it's the things that we get starstruck by within people. It could be that so-and-so is a really beautiful time organizer. And oh my God, I wish I could organize my time as efficiently as they did. Or, you know, so-and-so is really good at bookkeeping or accounting or um, creating social media posts. Oh, I wish I could do that. And we're already telling ourselves that we're not the thing that we see somebody else as being great at without actually acknowledging where we're able to do it ourselves. So we give away a lot of our power. And, and again, we see this a lot at times where, you know, we go and see somebody and by the end of spending time with them, we feel terrible, you know, and they've left feeling really good because we've taken on a whole bunch of their stuff without realizing that it has a relationship to who we are and who we believe we are. So, I mean, shadow is a really, really good topic. You know, I run courses on it online at the moment a couple of times a year. I'm hoping within the new year to, to launch a, a self-guided e-course for it as well so that people can start to just explore the themes of shadow. All the original kind of work really came through Carl Jung, and you can see aspects of it in some parts of, uh, of Buddhism, not generally, and you don't really see a lot of it in uh, a lot of the world's religions, although we tend to pick it up in the kind of the devil characters, the dark characters. And yet when you look deep enough, there's often metaphors in who these characters are and what they represent. So a lot of our archetypal ideas, say the idea of the hero or the heroine, uh, you know, they all contain their shadow elements. So there's lots of places that we can draw on shadow work from. Uh, and in our relationships, it's one of the big things, the things that really wind you up in your partner uh, and that you tell, I'm not like that, but they are. They're the things that you're denying about yourself. And all the things you really love in them are also the things that we often deny in ourselves. You know, so it's a really rich field of work to go into and uh, has made a big difference for me. Uh, I genuinely think it stopped me killing people through my life. Uh, <laughs> you know, cause I've been able to really acknowledge where I have to own that stuff. And, and that's really about me, not them. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, there's a lot of people, a lot of youngsters as well, that you know, you hear about committing suicide in universities and things. And you know, we know people, young people, your friends, that certain friends who have been so low. And I don't think it's something that we've really said much on our own podcast about that. That you know, it's not all about saying, oh, I'm a diamond. And like you said, you know, it's okay to actually have those bad times and, uh, and to maybe look at that more because like you said, they, they, they're not to be got rid of. Um, I have done some work um, a little while ago when we were looking at my favorite part of myself and my not my least favorite part of myself. And we had to make a collage, um, like um, take bits out of a magazine and stick them on a paper for, I can't remember what my one, it was a while ago when I did it now, but something probably say if I said 
I don't know, ha- being happy or something. So I was happy about that I could generally be happy quite a lot of the time. But the other one was anger. I remember, I remember the other one and I remember putting all these pictures of what angry meant to me. And then at the end of it, they made us stand. They said, stand on the picture and tell us about that emotion and then tell us what you like about it and what how you feel what it does you know how it helps you in your life and what we learned from it was when when I stood on the angry one I realized I was saying you know oh I don't like it that I get angry and I and and then they said how do you think it serves you and then I thought oh actually I can stand up for myself and I realized and they helped us realize it's not to be got rid of it's just to be understood and help yeah. yourself and understand yourself and that really helped me because I thought that emotion I had to get rid of otherwise I wasn't a nice person <laughs> so, yeah and I can definitely really interesting area sorry Libby, go for it <laughs> I was gonna say and I can definitely see how people are like apologetic about how you know I've done it before how I apologize for things that I think I am or like say to someone else oh you're so this like so organized and actually there's no reason why I haven't got elements of being like that too I just kind of just say I haven't got it even without thinking about it yeah sure and, and we're, we're quite interesting in that way and there, there's a big concept known as spiritual bypassing as well and, and one of the aspects of that is this constant idea of uh looking at things through this this lens of everything's really positive it's kind of like extreme positivity and there's a denial sometimes of the dark stuff and it's really important that we acknowledge that i mean i'm a big advocate in men's rights and men's issues you know i look quite a lot of suicide prevention work as well you know men are four times more likely to commit suicide than women we've got young people that are more likely to commit suicide than they ever were before and a lot of the time what people are actually looking for is a death to the situation They want an end to the situation they're in. It's not necessarily that they don't want to be here, but they can't see any other way out of the situation they're in. And so we can use a lot of our shadow work to be able to turn those ideas around and be able to look at the world from different perspectives and see that there's always another possibility. You know, how can we make it better than this? What else is possible? Key questions that we ask in access consciousness work. And just by asking what else is possible, we've already decided that something is, but what is it? How can it get better than this? Has already decided that it can. The question is, how does it happen? You know, and it might just be by little degrees, it might be simple things, but there's always a way to create space. And there's always spaces to find, even in the darkest of spaces, that we can go, do you know what, that actually has a value, that actually has a purpose, and I don't feel so bad about that anymore. Mm. I think that uh, with everything that's going on with COVID and the way the world is changing, there's a lot of people speaking about, oh, it's hard for the young people and they're not, they're going to have to pay for this that's happened and recover the, recover us as a country. And I actually feel there's, there is a lot of positivity and opportunity out there and that should be being focused more to you. I feel that there's a lot of exciting work to be done. Yeah, there's a constant stream of exciting work to be done. There's no point where we aren't in a situation where we could be doing something that helps us uh, more than, than we are at the moment. Uh, and I think that's something that we should spend more time working with. We should be looking at possibility within the world rather than looking at things that we can't do, rather than believing that we are limited or stuck we actually have a lot more openness and a lot more possibility in the world that the can-do attitude the what could we do that we're not seeing or acknowledging right now it's amazing what other stuff is there as a possibility for you we've just got to make a choice to go there but this is where that integral side of it is important because we also need a culture whether that be friends family or something larger that say to you you know i've got your back go for it doesn't matter if you fail, doesn't matter if you fall over. Because one of the concepts that we have is this idea that some things are better and brighter and, and more spiritual than other things. Whereas it holds a fundamental uh, mistruth about spirit because spirit is everywhere. You know, this is the real part of spirituality. It's in my mug, it's in my laptop, it's in the dog pool, it's out on the street. 
it's in the rubbish, it's in Boris Johnson. You know, there is nowhere where spirit is not, otherwise it's not spirit. So, you know, we've got to look at how judgy we are for things and how much we say that something is okay, but something is not. Everything is allowable. Everything has a place. The universe is manifesting all of this stuff, you know, regardless of what we believe is right or wrong. You know, human beings have got some really interesting ideas about what all of that means. Uh, and they're just ideas. It doesn't mean it's right. You know, we're just playing with certain things. So it's quite interesting to allow ourselves to work through that and play with that and just try to be in the world in a different way, in a fun way. Mm. yeah I think we can get a little bit stressed when things I know I used to if I thought something in my life wasn't going you know you'd plan ahead and you go right well I want to do this buy a house and get a job and then when things went wrong I believed it was wrong and got myself in a right state over it and it's been since someone suggested to me it was a, a healer actually and she said you know there's nothing right nothing wrong and it was such a relief to realize that sometimes the things that I judged as wrong because it might be that I was took off my what I thought was the right direction for me by I don't know losing a job or not getting a job I wanted or or not getting the house that I believed I should have um was actually the right thing actually directed me down a route where it it was you look back and you think oh well, actually this probably wasn't a bad thing that happened at all and, and directed you onto the path that you actually did better in yeah we, we are only going to follow the path that we can everything is going to unfold in the way it does every choice that you make every step that you take out into that world to a degree can't happen any other way you know, it is going to be what it is. And we can either sit in a place of judgment and contraction, red light about why something is the way it is, or we can go to ourselves, okay, so this is where I am right now. What next? Where do I want to go to? How can I grow out of this space? What can I do from this space? Mm. Yeah. It's a much, it's so, it's such a relief, isn't it? To have that feeling, you know, like students that go and do a university course and then it doesn't, it's, it ends up not being, I was thinking about you with your teaching that when you actually had done the four years, you thought, oh, not, this isn't quite for me, but, That's right. but then in a way it's, don't you think it's strange how the universe does seem to have your back because even even though at the time that wasn't right for you, it's still giving you a lot of skills that you've used in your work. Um, Absolutely. But there was not anything wrong with it. And I hear people say, oh, I've, I did this university course and then their parents or whoever are angry with them and say, oh, well, that was a waste of time. When nothing's a waste of time because you could have married somebody and it doesn't work out. And that wealth of knowledge from that relationship, you learn so much. And then... It, you're using it in other parts of your life and um, you don't know what you, where you're going to use it, but it's certainly not a waste of time. It's an experience. That's right. You know, and there's a wealth of that throughout our lives as we go along. And we don't need to be judgmental of our experiences in that way. We can just look at them from the, the point of view of, okay, this is what's happened today. You know, what, what value does it has for my, my life? Where can I take it? What can I do with it? We don't need to give ourselves such criticism. And stuff doesn't work out sometimes, but it's not all down to us. You know, the, the world, and I think this is one of the, the problems that we get with sometimes when we're moving through our, our early holistic stages is that we enter into this space where we can end up with uh, gross egocentrism and we're not really paying enough attention to to uh, the world around us. We don't understand how it's contributing, how it's adding into the choices that we're already making. You know, we, we don't want to recognize how even our phones are using subtle behavior modification tools on us, how the language that our government is using is influenced the way that we think in very specific ways. You know, and any of that information can be changing our experience of life. So we can work with that and mess around with all of that stuff. And just wherever we end up, go, okay, this is where I am. What next? What can I do next? Yeah. 
So moving forward with your new centre then at Shrewsbury, are you going to be doing, are you changing anything then? Because the centre before you were integral, as the name says, you had lots of other therapists as well, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still going to continue to have a multidisciplinary team. Uh, because again, for me, it's a really important tenant of the integral model is the fact that there are multiple aspects that we benefit from looking at. So if we don't have an integral team working there, you know, and again, we've got basic mind, body, relationships, environment. If we don't have those bits, then we're actually in a position where people might be missing out on um, having support at particular levels. So I like to keep a multidisciplinary team so that we can look at things at different different ways. So we've still got uh, different body works. We've got our counsellors, hypnotherapists, you know, allergy work, kinesiology, and so on. And we'll also continue to expand that team now that we're, we're cause we do have a team of kind of like 20 plus people. And uh, because uh, of the situation, you know, people changed where they were and what they were doing. So the team reduced down. And now we're looking again to build the team back up and do work in various ways with people. Mm. So where will the new centre be? Are you able to say at the minute? Yeah, sure. So, uh, be, because I've been in there sorting it all out over the last uh, couple of uh, days. So uh, it's quite happy to share it. So it's at the Hartley Business Centre, which is uh, in Monkmore in Shrewsbury. So we've got free parking there, which is a, a nice bonus as well. And uh, we've got a nice little office space that we've just finished refitting there. And it, it's looking really good. Right. That sounds really exciting. And when that will that be open from after lockdown, did you say? In a, Monday. No. Monday. Oh. Right. Yeah. So uh, we'll, start, uh, we'll start being open and doing stuff from Monday. Oh, that's good. That's really exciting. Well, thank you, Ben. That's been really interesting. I've really enjoyed talking to you and hopefully thank get you. you back on in the future. And we, I'm sure we've got so many areas we could have gone into, <laughs> could have explored so much more. But um, thank you to the listeners for listening. And we hope that you've enjoyed the show as much as we have and keep just trying to live the best chapters of your lives possible and we will be we'll be with you next week bye bye